Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Us as a community to grapple with scripture, okay? So not just stand up and deliver a monologue to you, but just show, okay, here's how we're grappling with this, asking questions, exploring it, and and looking to apply it to our own lives. So we're going to walk through that kind of in some dialogue together. Em and I teach together in a lot of different contexts, um, and it's cool to be able to do this here this morning together. Yeah? That's right. Yep. But the first, whoa, that's really loud. Um, first, <laughs> um, I had this thought that um, I thought would be a really funny way to start our morning Uh-oh. together. <laughs> and usually if I have a thought and it makes me laugh out loud, I'm like, let's do that. So um, it's true. I... Oftentimes, Shannon starts our mornings, or, or, or Justin starts our mornings, by like telling us to turn to your neighbor and talk about something, and she, maybe he'll give us a question or a topic or whatever. This morning, we are going to turn to our neighbor. We're going to find someone, but we're not going to talk. We're not going to, we're not going to, we, there's no pressure to say anything. What we're going to do is we're going to have a seeing contest. Not a staring contest? Not a staring contest, but a seeing contest. That sounds awkward already. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> And this is kind of what's fun about it. So some people are like, yeah, this is my jam. I got this. Like, I can, I can look into someone's eyes for hours and, like, just hone in. And, but for a lot of people, myself included, I, like, about 10 seconds in, and I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> like, let, let me look anywhere but here, right? Okay, so we're going to do this, and I'm just going to count out a minute, and we'll see how, let's, we'll see how long people last, Okay. So everybody's going to so stand contest. up. So okay, you got to like, stand up and just look in your neighbor's stand up eyes and look in your neighbor's eyes without breaking eye contact. So you're making contact. eye contact looking into this. Okay. <laughs> All right. And so but is there a prize for like the winner? High fives from your neighbor, okay. I guess. We'll see we'll see who lasts. No, does this I'll give you a cup to, of coffee. What? It, it might have something to do with it where we're going. It might have something to do with where we're okay. going. Okay. But All right, so everybody stand up. We're going to do this. Everybody stand up and find someone. It can be your spouse. It can be somebody you've never met. So you don't, yeah, try not to laugh, but I know that for myself, I laugh when I feel awkward. So yeah. it's okay if you laugh. Okay. But right. try, try not to talk. No pressure. I, I'll keep an eye on the time. Let's be precise. Okay. She already feels awkward. <laughs> yep. All right. Okay. Are we ready? Does everybody have a partner? Does anybody need a partner? Does anybody need a partner? Eric's over here alone. Eric, Eric, come on, dude. <laughs> Eric's That's opting okay. out. That's okay. That's, okay. That's okay. All right. Okay, so, Michael, you, you have a watch on. I, I do. Okay, so, so set, set us off. All right, ready, go. And three more seconds. Three... Two, one. All right. <sighs> All right. Who won? Who won? <laughs> Zeke won. Anybody find that difficult? Is that hard? Joe? <laughs> yeah, Rich. Uh, anybody find that just super easy? Like, no problem at all. It's Mickey. interesting. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is that I think it's true. Like, kids, this kind of thing, kids are like, yeah, whatever. Zero problem. The older and crustier we get, we're like, <laughs> I, 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 I just old and crust. Like you can be crusty without. Be, anyway, all right, I'm digging myself in a hole. All right, so, so all right. Pay attention. The the theme of seeing is probably important yeah. here. Okay. So I think that this exercise is actually really funny to like to reflect on how difficult for some of us it can be to just simply look in someone's eyes. And um, the vulnerability it exposes, uh, even as we're looking, we're in a room surrounded by people, right? And, um, you know, we kind of close ourselves off, right? But in this moment, this one minute moment of like looking in someone's eyes, like you feel vulnerable, you feel exposed. And for some of us, that's, that's scary, that's threatening, right? So we're looking at um, this story that kind of touches on some of those things. I thought this would be kind of a fun way to... Get your heart racing a little bit this morning. <laughs> Her idea of fun. Yeah, my idea of fun. Make people feel uncomfortable. 
<laughs> All right, so what do we got? We're looking at a story from John chapter 5, verses mm -hmm. 1 through 17. Mm -hmm. um, I think Mickey's going to help us with something, am I right? Um, yes. You want to give us just a quick rundown? Yeah, before? why don't you head up here? So, so John 5, this is um, a story that, uh, yeah, Jesus is with his disciples um, because once he joined them, he was pretty much always with them, right? Um, and he is on his way, or he's, he's heading into Jerusalem, and he stops and he heals somebody. It's Sabbath. And um, so we're just going to, this is the quick 10-second version of the context of this story. It's early in his ministry. So. You want to give an intro to this reading? So this reading, here's what we want to look at. Um, we want to put ourselves in the story, okay? So Mickey is very good at reading, reading things with, no. <laughs> with, with feeling and emotion and beauty, right? And um, so we're going we're gonna to actually take a moment to close our eyes and we're going we're gonna to ask some questions. Um, we're going to look at who's in the story. We're going to pay attention to details, like what's going on, what's the context, um, what did things hear, uh, what did things sound like, what did things smell like, uh, how did it feel for Jesus, like what was the weather like that day, right? Mm -hmm. Those sorts of questions, anything you would want to add? Uh, and you might, you might want to put yourself into the story, okay? Maybe there's a position or posture within the story that you would be seeing it from from that viewpoint so think about the people that are around and uh, maybe there's someone that you identify with that you would be seeing the story from their viewpoint okay mm -hmm. so let's we'll, we'll hear it for the first time and then and we're gonna come back through it again here in a bit mm -hmm. all right so if you feel comfortable you can close your eyes if that helps otherwise I think we can have the scripture on the screen too so reading along is helpful for you Go ahead. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn um, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worth, worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why Jesus was uh, and this was sorry why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered, answered them, "My Father is working until now, and I am working." Okay, so um, we're going to get into this together. We, um, the, f the first thing I want to say in, in approaching Scripture, in we, many of us, we know this just to remind us and sharpen us. As we're approaching Scripture, we're, we're approaching something that was written, that wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. Does that difference make sense? So as we're reading um, this Gospel of John, John didn't write Corina like, hey, this is for you, or this is to you, right? It wasn't addressed to you. But it's for us. It's for you to, to dig into and explore. 
But that difference is important because often for us to, um, to really gain a deeper understanding of Scripture, we need to know what it meant to the people that it was spoken to or written to. Make sense? Uh, here, here's an example from, I was thinking about this from this past week from our lives. Um, I have a, a message on my phone here. Now I want you to imagine, again, put yourself into the story. Now imagine that you are finding this message, okay? And you're looking for divine guidance. What's God want to say to you? So here's the message. Are you ready? <sighs> okay. It's very personal. That chicken taco thing. This is a cereal eggs, fruit, clarbrun, toilet paper. <laughs> Crazy, right? All right, so as you, now imagine you're reading this, you come across this and you're like, oh my gosh, what does it mean? What does it mean? Chicken taco thing, uh, tacos, yeah, I love tacos. Mexico, Mexico, uh, cereal, eggs, eggs, chickens, chickens in Mexico, fruit, okay, uh, toilet paper, okay, uh, vacation in Mexico. God's saying to us that we need to take it, we need to go eat tacos, egg tacos in Mexico um, while, okay, that's not it, right? Like, you, but if you try to approach it, you would miss the point, right? If you're reading this and say, this is a message to me, I need to interpret it in my own context. You can't interpret it in your own context. But what you can do is say, what's the larger meaning? And if you scroll through this thread of messages, it's me saying, hey, I'm stopping at Costco for printing paper. Is there anything else that we need? And Emma writes back, that chicken taco thing, which if you have not had the chicken taco thing from Costco, it's so good, that crema. Um, and... Uh, the, uh, okay, then these other things, and so I write back, okay, okay. So in, if you're taking that in context, you might pick up some, some, maybe there are some things that God would want to say to you through that, like go, like husbands, go grocery shopping. It's a good okay, principle. I, I'm not judging, I'm just saying. Uh, like step up, you know, there's a conversation, there's dialogue. I mean, maybe there's, maybe there's some things to gain from that if you're able to step back and say, this is not to me, but what can I get from it? What does God want to say to me? So similarly with the book of John, with this passage, we want to say what happened in the context and then what, does it, what might it mean in my life? What's God want to say to me through that? So dig it right out. So we're going to start with some basic questions. Who, where, when? We can all ask those questions, right? So again, we're trying to say here are some tools that all of us can use and sharpen in grappling with Scripture. So Emma, what's going on here? Who, who's present? Actually, I think that we can kind of call out some of these answers. So, um, Dave, can you put the story back up there? And uh, hopefully some of you guys have Bibles um, that you can look at. All right, so let's look at who's in this story. Who are the key, who are the key players in this story? You can just call them out. Jesus. Good answer. <laughs> the invalid. Okay, so here are the two main characters. Now, who's the supporting cast? You got the, the multitudes, yes, okay. Some of them being sick. Actually, I think it says it was a multitude of It was a invalids. multitude of invalids. <laughs> so. A multitude, yeah, and, and then, and the crowd, yeah. And the crowd. Angels stirring the water. So, yes, this is an interesting thing. There, actually, in some of our Bibles, there are verses missing because um, the earliest manuscripts didn't include them. One of them, and the verse saying that there was an angel stirring the water, and that was kind of the story behind why that was a gathering place. Joe. The Jews, yes, like the Jewish leaders. Good job. And the disciples, yes. So here's an interesting thing. I mentioned this earlier, that the disciples play a passive role. They're actually not even mentioned here, but we can assume that they're there because to be a disciple of a rabbi means that you are literally following in their footsteps, like collecting the dust of their feet because you're walking so closely with them, right? So the disciples were definitely there, mm -hmm. yeah. So, all right, where? Where is this taking place? All right, where is it? Where are we? What's the scene? <coughs> Sheepgate, what? Bethesda pool. Okay. In Jerusalem. So, if you, like, look at a map, it's, here's the temple, here's the Sheepgate. It's, like, pretty close. They're neighbors. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the meaning of Bethesda is mercy. So, this is the, the mercy pool. There's often meaning to places that these stories take place in, in through the Gospels. So there's that. Um, all right, so 
Timeline, what's the timeline of this? When is it happening? Sabbath, at the, around the time of the Feast of the Jews, that's why Jesus was going to Jerusalem, because there was a feast, right? Mm -hmm. And it's on the Sabbath, which I feel like he's always doing stuff on the Sabbath. <laughs> Just to like... All right, so we're trying, what we're doing is like restraining ourselves from trying to make, draw our own interpretation. Like what we want to do is let Scripture speak to us and tell the, instead of telling Scripture what we want it to say. And we're prayerfully asking God to please help us, help us to restrain ourselves. So we're trying to just ask some questions. What is the scripture saying? So on just the question of what, there's really, there's two parts of the story. It's kind of two acts. There's you know, among the multitude there in the pool of Bethesda. And then there's a second act um, outside of there. So what's, what's going on in this first part? Okay, so let's, let's take this chronologically. Verse 1 says, um, Jesus is entering Jerusalem on his way to the temple, okay? So we know that um, he is, he's making his way there because he's, he's a, a, a law-abiding Jew, right? But he understands the value of law and, and where, um, like the extent of it, that it doesn't, it isn't, he isn't limited by the law in the way that he works with people, right? Um, so he sees this pool, he stops at the pool that has a reputation for healing people. So, like we mentioned, there's this verse that's missing. Um, this is a. This was a pool that had. Um, it wasn't just Jews who were there. It also had like pagan kind of significance. Yeah. Um, so, we remember that the Jews had been conquered by the Romans, so they're under the Roman rule. So there's a kind of a mixture of Jews and Gentiles there, and. Um, Jesus is stepping into a place, like going out of his way to walk through this colonnade, right? Um, he's surrounded by a multitude of invalids, and he sees one, okay? So I, I think it's actually kind of interesting just to like pause here for a second and talk about um, the significance of him stepping into a multitude of invalids. Based on like, some things that maybe you've read in the Bible before, what was the reputation of somebody who um, was blind or had, um, like a, had paralysis? Was there any stigma around that? Seen as unclean, sin in their lives, right? So three chapters later, or four chapters later, he's with, he's with his disciples, and they're saying, they see a blind guy, and they're like, okay, so who sinned, him or his parents, you know? <laughs> so we know that, that Jesus, by going out of his way and surrounding himself by a multitude of invalids, he's breaking some pretty, pretty like, like ingrained stigmas around even what it means to be an invalid. And right? even, like, just asking a little bit deeper, the what question, so what... What was going on here? What did it look like? What did it smell like? Mm -hmm. Okay, have you, any of you in, in, anywhere in the world ever been in a, among a multitude of invalids before? Um, just, just try to, just with your senses, try to think about what that might smell like. Mm -hmm. What it might look like. So for someone who can't move themselves, um, what's, what's going on there. It would be probably a pretty challenging place to be. And um, we can, it's probably a pretty good guess that someone who, who's a rabbi, someone who's a religious leader, probably wouldn't spend too much time in a place like this, mm -hmm. right? So what's going on? Jesus is passing through a multitude of invalids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think about like, um, also that, that story about Jesus and the blind man in chapter nine, um, another another um, assumption that I think we can we can make with this is that somebody who's blind, somebody who is an invalid, somebody who is uh, crippled, what occupation do you think that they have? They're beggars. So he's surrounded by beggars, right? Um, Michael and I have done a fair amount of traveling uh, as missionaries, and I'm sure many of you have experienced this too. Um, but that when you walk through um, a city uh, like Port-au-Prince, Haiti, for example, um, the streets are often lined with invalids, with beggars, right? With people who have um, limitations to what they can do for their work and this is what they do, right? 
Okay, so I think that that kind of helps us to frame, like, this is what it looks like. It wasn't just, like, a gathering place. It was, it was a lot of sick people, a lot of people lying on the ground. If this guy couldn't even get to the pool, like, he didn't have anybody to carry him to the pool, did he have someone who could carry him to use the bathroom? It's <laughs> an interesting question, right? Did he have someone to carry him home at night, or was he sleeping there? Like, we don't know but I think it's an important question to ask, right, to kind of frame the, the context. Okay, so um, Jesus, he's walking through a, a multitude, and he's surrounded, he's surrounded, he's surrounded, uh, and then he, he sees one. He sees one. And not only does he see one, but he knows something about him. So the interesting thing about this is that um, it doesn't say how he knew. There was one man there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And then the next verse says, what does it say, Dave? Can you skip, skip next? When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, probably not the full 38 years, but a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Okay, so Jesus, Jesus somehow knew. Maybe the guy had a reputation. Maybe he... Um, had, maybe it was just visibly apparent, like, wow, this guy's really settled in here, right? Um, or maybe the Holy Spirit was giving Jesus some insight there, right, into who this guy was and what his story was. Okay, so then the question, do you want to be healed? Which is a funny question. I feel like God, you, Jesus usually asks, starts with a question, doesn't he? Like, every time that he's, he encounters someone, he asks, like, do they want it? And this guy, um, let's, let's, let's read his response. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. So what's missing in his answer? Yes, he doesn't answer. <laughs> he, he doesn't say yes. But so, so that's kind of an interesting thing, like, but I, I think that between the lines, he's saying yes, right? Because, like, why would he be there if he didn't want to be healed, right? Yeah, it's like he doesn't have the audacity to articulate yes. Like, that would just be too big of a reach, or he's too... We don't, we don't know, like, what all, what all is going on with that, but he doesn't... Either way, he doesn't have the boldness or hope to say yes to this question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we'll get back to it. Let's keep going with the story. So Jesus responds to his kind of half-baked answer, right? Not by saying, oh, but, you know, stop making excuses, right? <laughs> but, okay, get up, your, get up, take up your bed, and walk, right? Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Immediately, the man is healed. He takes up his bed, and he walks. So his, his response is immediate, and the healing's immediate, and his obedience is immediate. Okay, so we're going to get to the second act of the story, just asking the questions of what's happening and then get to some how and why questions. So, um, all right, so the next thing that happens, the Jews stop the man and they say, hey, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. It wasn't lawful to carry an object like this from one habitat to another. And the man answers, the man who healed me told me to do it. I love this. <laughs> Pretty straightforward, right? The man who healed me. He didn't know who Jesus was because uh, Jesus had withdrawn. It was a crowded place. So um, just to observe there, the man didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus was known in other places. So that's a thing. Um, did Jesus feel the need to, this is, I'm getting ahead a little bit, did Jesus feel the need to be known? Like to have, to be um, recognized um, these are some of the questions to ask. He didn't know who Jesus was because Jesus had withdrawn. It was a crowded place. Jesus found him in the temple, and he said, Look, see, you're well. <laughs> hey, look. Like, I picture Jesus. I don't know what the tone is, but it seems like, Hey, <laughs> look, you're well. Look at that. Uh, don't sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Okay. Um, the man went. So then the man leaves that spot, goes and tells the Jews, there's the guy who healed me. It was him. Um, and this is why, the, the next statement, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. This is why. 
because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered, my father is working. What do you not do on the Sabbath? My father is working until now, and I am working. So what's going on in that statement? How is he talking about God? In this close, intimate way, and he's placing himself in, like on par with God through the statement, right? So, um, all right, so how... How does, so we've just been asking some basic questions so far. When does this take place? Where does it take place? What exactly is happening? How, how does, some, some questions you might want to ask as you're kind of digging into scripture. How does John, in this case, or the writer, portray the situation? How does the writer portray the, what was done, the characters in the story? How does, how does John portray Jesus? Um, how does he portray the Jews? How does John portray himself and the disciples? That's another really interesting question. The, the chapter just before this, in John chapter 4, there's another detour, which I think we'll get into, through Samaria. And Jesus is in, of all places, out in the middle of nowhere next to a well in the middle of the day, talking to an adulterous woman. Okay? And the disciples come and it says they were shocked. Okay? And John's writing this saying, yeah, we were shocked. Okay, so how does John portray themselves? Um, and then why? Uh, so throughout John's writing, he's, he's kind of making this case of Jesus as the messianic king. So Jesus is the king of the Jews, and he's the son of God. So, um, so that's coming across here. So there's majesty to that, but there's something else, right? So this king, how he's portraying him yeah. as a king. Yeah, so... So I think that Jesus was always baffling his disciples because the disciples expected him to be this king that would like, like come in as their champion, right? He would come in and set order and be a very top-down leader, like the, the kings that they've always experienced, that they've read about in their past, right? But Jesus, it, it was like this deliberate um, exercise of like over and over and over again, he was inverting that model of, of kingship and serving from the bottom up. And, and elevating the people that he served, right? And, and supporting and lifting up the oppressed. Okay, so, so the way that even he positions himself in the story among the hurting, among the hopeless, rather than setting himself apart, the way that so many of the rabbis of that time were doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, he was inverting the model and showing to his disciples and the rest of the Jews and the invalids over and over again that this is the way we lead. This is the way the kingdom of God so works. So thinking about that, if John is saying, this, is, this guy's the king, and all these stories point toward that, why would John have chosen these stories? Apparently there was a bunch of stories. Why did John choose these stories? Why did he choose them in this sequence? Mm -hmm. Right? There was the woman at the well in Samaria mm -hmm. who nobody would have talked to. After that, there's the Gentile, um, the Gentiles, centurion. huh? The centurion, the centurion, son. the centurion son, who would have been kind of the oppressor, the Gentile oppressor. Jesus heals his son. This is in John chapter four. Into John chapter five, Jesus is with the multitudes. Of, why is John painting this? What does John want to say to us through that? And what are the disciples gleaning from from this too? So. Um, all right, then there's the invalid, right? How, do, how is he portrayed and why? Yeah, okay, so let's, let's hear some feedback. What do you guys, when you read that, when you read even, we don't actually hear very much, like, it's, like we don't have a lot of detail about this invalid, but we hear his tone, like his words, we don't know his tone, but when we read his words that say t that his answer, um, where, did, where is it? Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. What are we hearing? What are we hearing? Excuses? Defensive? Frustration? Hopelessness? He's alone? What was that? Self-pity? Okay. So this is 38 years into his career as an invalid. So do you think that any of these are valid? <laughs> like his, his heart posture. It seems like, yeah, I kind of get that, right? <laughs> and also, like, he's hopeless, but there's also, like, his hope is in this, in this pool, right? That yeah. something's going to happen, yeah. and Jesus steps into that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so his response exposes some things. It exposes his hopelessness. It exposes his despair, his surrender to his situation. Like, well, this is where I live now. Like, this is my place in society. This is my place in the, in the Jewish order, in the order of the world. And it also shows, yeah, it exposes some misplaced hope that if he had been there for a long time, he was expecting somehow, he was hoping somehow that he would find healing in this pool, right? But over and over, he didn't. Over and over, for maybe years, he didn't. Which um, Marlene Sorensen, when, when she taught here a few months ago, she was talking about like the definition of insanity being doing something over and over, expecting a different result. And like, here's this invalid doing something over and over and expecting a different result. So he had misplaced hope in, um, in this pool. And he really, I think that he kind of settled into this as his identity in a lot of ways, where he made his plight his home. He made his plight his home in that he just, he surrendered to it. Mm -hmm. He made it his identity. He said, this is who I am now. This is not something that happened to me, but this is who I am, right? And so the other, the other characters in the story, the Jewish leaders, um, how were they portrayed and why? Well, obviously they valued the order of, uh, and the structure of rules more than this man. And Jesus is overturning that. He por Jesus is portrayed as the Lord of the Sabbath, which is mentioned in some other places. Um, their hypocrisy is exposed, but also like their like they're desperate clinging to rules, like trying to gain righteous standing with God through a system of rules. Um, and through that, through, and what comes through that also is power over others through the rule system, through the religious system. Mm -hmm. And so, all right, so all of this leads us, as we're grappling with, this, with Scripture, and I want to encourage you, like, get, like, do some work in the morning. Open up your Bible and ask these questions. What's going on? Put your, your glasses, your lenses for seeing the world. Put them down and let script, ask God to help you. Let Scripture speak what it wants to say to you. And then we get to these questions. So what was the intended response? What did, what did Jesus, what was he reaching for with the people who were in this place? So with the invalid, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward, right? What he wants, the, the response from him. The response... You know, I, Jesus said it in, in three phrases, get up, take up your mat, and walk, right? Um, and I think that, you know, you read it on, at, surface, at surface value, like give it kind of a surfacey pass, and you're like, oh yeah, he just healed him, right? Um, but there's something, there's something worth pausing over here. Um, he wasn't just saying, get up, take up your mat, and walk, I'm going to heal you physically. But he was healing him on multiple levels. Um, you think about like the, the fact that he told him to take up his mat, like that he told him to get up, not I heal you in Jesus' name, but not I help up, you up. I help you up. Yeah, let me give you a hand. He calls him up. And so here's this man who stands up on his own two feet and he takes up his mat, which is like treating him like an equal with like giving him responsibility, like take your things, you know, this is your responsibility and walk go. You don't belong here anymore. Yeah, so, all right, so we've got the, the Jewish leaders. What, what's the intended response from them? Now, we know in another place that Jesus looked out at Jerusalem and wept. And he's, in each, what I love about these stories is that, that Jesus tells us that they're always reaching everyone. And so you think about what we call the prodigal son story, which a lot of us are familiar with. If you flip that and make it about the father, Really, it's not a story about, about a son. It's a story about a father who had two sons. And Jesus is telling the story among the lost and broken, the marginalized, and the religious leaders, and everybody in the room's heart is pierced if they have ears to hear. So it's just this incredible way that Jesus like, speaks to everybody present. Same thing here. I think it's really just it's an invitation. Jesus is not yelling. He's not like chasing people around. Hey, you need to be convinced. He's just giving an invitation. Let he who has ears hear. He doesn't contend with them beyond that. So then there's the disciples. What? So the disciples are kind of passive in the background. What do you think is the response that Jesus wanted from the disciples through this? 
again, think about the context. They're just coming through Samaria. The, the Gentile's son is, is healed. Not just the regular Gentile, but the Gentile oppressor, military oppressor. His son is healed. And now they're walking. Imagine how, the look on the disciples' faces as they're like stepping around this place, a multitude of invalids. What do you think he's reaching for for them? Oh, that's good. Well said. Anything you want to add? Yeah, so, but it's important for us to acknowledge that. Like, they're, they play a prominent role in the story. And so Jesus is, is modeling for them what, what it looks like to lead as he leads. So at this point, we want to pause again and go through the story one more time. And so I want to ask Mickey to come back up. Um, we're going to read it one more time. This time around, I want you to um, identify someone in the story to kind of put yourself in their shoes. So as you read it, put yourself in their shoes and think about this situation. Try as much as you can. Think about the situation from their perspective. And, and maybe even like make this kind of a prayerful moment. Lord, where, where am I in this story? And then we're going to get to what it means to us today. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed and walk. Oh, and take up your bed, sorry. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. All right, so we're, we're, we're trying to not just say, hey, here's what the Bible says, but here's how we can grapple with it together, okay? So we're asking these questions. We're starting by laying down our assumptions, asking God to, to speak to us through Scripture, what it has to say. We're asking some questions, and then as, and we're asking, like, what, what, what was going on in the lives of the people? What was the intended response for the hearers? Um, and then we can get to this place of what does this mean for us today? It's not just the chicken taco thing, okay? <laughs> like my message, there's something deeper to gain from this. 
as we look at the full picture. So getting to us today, now there's a lot, this is a, this is a dynamic story speaking to a lot of hearts mm -hmm. in this place, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so the best that we can do right now is, is give you some things that we've been meditating on and that we think are important for us today. So mm -hmm. you want to run with that? So, um, yeah, just, I started reading this on Monday and um, not knowing that Shannon was planning on, to teach on this because he originally was going to teach on it until <laughs> um, he got sick. Um, so, so one of the things that popped out to me immediately was that um, Jesus comes to us in our mess, in our hopelessness, in our misplaced hope, um, that he, he positions himself, like we were talking about earlier, in a way that makes him available. And... Um, I was actually, I was praying for this woman that I've been trying to connect with who um, is in a really tough spot. She's in a, in a trafficking situation and waiting for her to respond to a text. And I was praying for her and I, f I felt like God was giving me this story um, for her and how like God, even as she's not ready to step, make, take risks, step out and, um, and receive help that Jesus can even meet her in that, right? But that in, the, in, in, in very similar ways that there are times in, uh, in my life where I'm maybe not, not ready to, to receive his hope or, or am, am placing my hope in something else, but he's meeting me in that anyways, right? Um, he takes our half-baked yes <laughs> or our excuses that... In the, mix, in the mix somewhere, the answer is yes. Like, yes, I want your help. And he meets us in that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know that, I mean, for us personally, and you can ask us if we can go out for coffee or something, we can tell you about some things going on in our, in our own lives where we feel like God is challenging us, get up. Mm -hmm. Some places where we've kind of been stuck. Um, take up your mat. Like, identifying with brokenness as, as my identity. Mm -hmm. And walk, like, under your own power, I'm calling you. There's a vocation to walk and, um, and carry out who you are. And um, in Jesus doing that, like, like Emma was saying, like he, him meeting us in our mess and not waiting for it to get cleaned up. He's not afraid to step into it. And uh, he's, he's um, available and he is accessible to us. But there's also something that comes... Uh, that's that's something like in, in in that God wants to do internally within us, but He also wants to like there's something outward that happens in that too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 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 to to think about like kind of how how the disciples perceived what He was doing and like the the significance of His actions and His posture, um, we can learn from that too, right? Where like like that's what's so great about this story is we can think about ourselves in the position of the invalid. Like, where can I relate to, where can I relate to his, his stuckness or his misplaced hope? Where can I relate to um, my need to fix things up, clean myself up before I can come to Jesus? Um, my, my, my identifying with my brokenness and making that my, like who I am. When Jesus is calling, when, when Jesus calls um, that man, he said, you no longer belong here. Get up. This is not your place anymore, right? So, like, identifying his brokenness and saying, get out of that. Like, walk away. That's not you anymore. Um, so so we, can, we can identify with, with the invalid. We can also identify with, like, what he was modeling for his disciples and the other Jews and, and invalids in the room that Jesus goes to the broken. He positions himself so that he's surrounded by people who need the kingdom, Right? He doesn't wait for the broken to come to him. He's available, he's accessible, and he affirms the dignity of the people around him. Um, that he would tell this man to take up his mat affirms his dignity. He's speaking to like, you are an adult, you are capable, and I am not going to treat you as less than by expecting less than, right? So he affirms people's dignity. And um, so something that over the last few weeks I've really been um, thinking about a lot is how God calls, calls us to take risks 
and to live remarkable lives as Christians. And when I look at this story, I see him living a remarkable life. And he's calling us to do the same, not in like a striving, like, oh, I need to measure up way, but in like a really accessible way that like, oh, I can surround myself with people who I can make myself available to the broken, right? And um, so I've been really kind of meditating on that. Like, what does it mean to, to live a life that's full of risk that surprises even me, right? And um, I, <laughs> I don't like taking risks because it's super uncomfortable, right? <laughs> but um, I've, been, I've been like really trying to be obedient in that. So um, should I just tell this story yeah. here? Yeah, so um, a few weeks ago, like I, as you guys know, some of you, um, I work with, kind of um, advocating for women who are stepping out of difficult situations, sometimes trafficking situations, addictions, things like that. And um, so a, f a couple weeks ago, my friend stopped by my house. I had just finished making dinner for the kids, and Michael had just gotten home. We hadn't seen each other all day. And my friend pulls in the driveway, and she says, hey, uh, can you come to the library? Um, there's a lady. She's like... And I'm standing at the counter, like, we're about to dish out dinner, and I'm like, no. <laughs> This is not library time. This is like Home game time. time. Like, yeah, like five kids, dinner time. It's go. Like it's game time. Yeah. It's on. So, so she's like, there's this lady. She's at the library. She's weeping, sitting on the curb outside the library. I, I don't know what to do. Can you come? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like the grumpiest. Yes, I have ever. <laughs> So I'm like thinking, okay, like she told me a little bit about the situation, like seems like it's a domestic abuse situation where she's, she's not safe, right? So, and I'm thinking, I don't really know a lot about how to help her right now, but okay. So I'm thinking if she doesn't have a place to stay tonight, I should probably bring her a toothbrush. So I'm like walking like at a snail's pace, going around my house gathering things I should bring for her. So I grab some, you know, some snacks like granola bars. I go over here and I grab like a toothbrush and toothpaste and some shampoo and deodorant that we just have around and I like get this bag together and we go. But like the whole time I'm like, oh, I just really wanted to have dinner. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what can I even do for her, right? So I'm like, like automatically discounting myself, but like in my brokenness, um, my half-baked yes, I go, right? And so we sit with this lady in the library. The librarian was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, like, go, but you can use that room over there. So we sit down and we talk. And we spend the next probably 30 minutes talking through her, her situation. And um, I felt like I was just like, honestly, just responding to like, like, like coming up with questions that I didn't really know where I was going with the conversation. But ultimately what happened was I like, helped her identify glimmers of hope. And like, oh, you have coworkers who believe in you. And, and they're for you so that like, they can lend you their phones when you need to call and like, make arrangements. Oh, you have somebody that you can stay with tonight. Oh, you, um, have, you have a doctor who who's for you and who has documented every single injury that you have from this abusive marriage. And he's ready with those photos for when you're ready to report. And the woman, um, so we made a plan for that night to keep her safe. And then um, I dropped her off at her friend's house where she was safe. And then she called me the next morning when we were planning on going to the police station to um, report. Then she called me back and she said, oh, I just heard from the domestic abuse center, which is like really hard to get in there. So it was a, mir a miracle that they called. <laughs> and she said, somebody's bringing me. So, uh, a social worker is going to take me in. So you don't have to. But I just want you to know that I was alone and hopeless, and you gave me hope. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> like, no idea what I was doing. But it was like, it was the most humbling um, experience because I was so unwilling. I was so unwilling, and I was so like, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but I can be a friend, and I can talk this through with her, and, and just by like showing her that I cared, and honestly, I haven't heard from her since, but, sh but I know that she, she felt supported, and she didn't feel alone, and she felt like she had hope for the first time in years. 
through that one conversation. And it was out of my place of unwillingness. So when I read this story and I think about how Jesus modeled for us what it looked like to put ourselves in positions where we were willing to walk with the broken, where we put ourselves in the positions where we were willing to let him work with our half-baked yes, that he does remarkable things. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> so Emma was reluctant to tell that story, but I was like, no, 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 you need to tell that story, you need to tell the background, because there's really, there's a statement to this woman, get up, take your mat, but there's also, that's also like piercing your heart too, mm -hmm. right? That mm -hmm. truth, get up, mm -hmm. take your mat and walk, mm -hmm. because it's meaningful for this person. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, get up, wash the dishes, <laughs> So that this can happen, right? <laughs> that's another story, but um, that's that's one one application in some things that we think are significant to point out for us as a body today. Um, moving ahead, so I want to just go ahead and ask the worship team to come up. Um, <clears throat> we want to just as they're as they're getting settled here, I want to ask you what what is the scripture speaking to you today? What is the scripture speaking to you today? What does God want to say to you from these various characters in the story and how he relates with them? What does God want to say to you about who Jesus is? What does he want to say to you about who you are? What does it mean to you to get up? What does it mean to you to take up your mat? This is not your place. What does it mean to you to walk with dignity under, under your strength by the Spirit, to walk um, so this is where this is just where we want to wrap up. Let's um, let's invite the Lord to um, to speak to us and um, and not just to be hearers, but doers. What is God saying and what what might you do about it in response? Uh, so let's pray. Before we pray, let me just say this. <laughs> As I was praying this morning, I felt like the word was um, to come out of a stupor. And that this is what this, you guys can start playing if you want. This is what this story is, is challenging us to do in a lot of ways. Like, what does it mean to come out of a stupor? Maybe it's a place of um, just comfortability um, or a place of, of, of hopelessness where you're just like in a stupor. And like, like, what are the things that God is shaking loose through this story, through positioning ourselves as different characters in this story, and, um, and looking at like, what is Jesus calling us into? Um, what is he shaking us, shaking us out of, and what is he calling us into? So, so Father, we, um, we recognize the way that you are working in each of our lives, that each person is unique in this room, and that you are meeting us, you see us, in the crowds. You see us in the multitudes. And um, you have a unique call for each of us today to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And we ask God that you would be speaking, that we would be able to hear you um, just in the way that you're like kind of hit, like nudging our hearts where, you know, those weird feelings you have in your stomach when it's like, oh, I think that was God. <laughs> um, and that you would give us the boldness to to, to agree with it, to agree with the promises and the ways that you are knocking loose the stupor. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we've got some time to respond uh, in worship and taking communion together and, and accepting Jesus coming to us, literally, and celebrating, remembering his body and his blood uh, for us. So um, let's worship and respond as we, as we wrap up.